<laughs> I think the one thing that's profound to me is that time is the most valuable non-renewable resource we all have. And we work in the thought of getting our time back to spend with it what we choose to do. And for many of us, it's later in our years when we're 65. Why can't it be when we're 45? Why can't it be when we're 35? Would you not rather have time to take your son to a soccer game on a Wednesday afternoon instead of being in the clinic? Of course I would. So what can you do now to free up time? Because we all have very limited amounts of it. What is up, everyone? This is the PT Lens Podcast with me and Waleed and our special guest, Robin. What is up, everybody? How's it going? How's it going? Hey, everyone. It's Robin here. Yes, it is. And we're very excited for this this episode because it's a topic that all of us, a lot of us need, but we're not, we, we weren't taught this stuff in school, let's just say. Like, Waleed, were, were you taught financial literacy as a healthcare provider in the ways that all. we need it. Yeah, maybe Not at all. I think yeah. I, I think I think the way that I would describe it is like we are very um like when we're going through school we're very focused on becoming like technically inclined in our field and and honestly there's a there's like it that's that is very important. But when you get that first check, you're almost very excited like oh my god, I got I got this money and then you're like what am I supposed to do with this? There are things that you want to do with it, but what is the right way of handling the money and managing money? Just like how we manage our time, I think finances is something that we should pay attention to in terms of how we manage it, because how we manage it today has big, I think, consequences as we kind of move on to the future outlook, right? So I think um, throughout undergrad, throughout master's, throughout all the experiences that we had, no one actually like like sat me down and said, hey, we'll lead this is what you're supposed to do. And we've taken a tremendous amount of courses. I think one elective here and there would have been very, very, very useful. So that's why I think um, I, I'm sure I'm not alone on this boat. Um, and if I am, like I, I guess that just sucks. But if I'm not alone on this boat, I think the information that Robin here is going to provide for us is going to be very, very useful. Not only just for physios, even though he is the financially fulfilled physio, you can apply all the principles that he's probably going to provide and his insights regardless of what your walk of life is. So please let me welcome Robin and he's going to do his introduction and um, he's going to walk us through all his um, advice and everything that he has to offer. Welcome, man. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, hi, everyone. My name is Robin Valadares. I'm a physiotherapist who's been practicing for 10 years. It's kind of eerie to say that, but this is my 10th year of practice, and I've done it mainly in private orthopedics and uh, the GTA, the uh, Greater Toronto Area. And I, I became kind of fascinated with uh, financial literacy investing at, in my mid to early 20s because, like you mentioned earlier, gentlemen, it's not something we learn in high school, undergrad, postgrad, my MD friends, my doctorate friends. This It's a giant gap in our traditional education system at the detriment of the people they produce. And if you can grasp this information early, apply it, which is a challenge in itself for some people, then you'll reap the rewards of what is what life is truly supposed to be, in my opinion, and that's enjoying time freedom, doing what you want, when you want, not because you need to, because you want to. And there's a big difference between those two words of needing and wanting, and most people don't have the choice to make. They just do it because they need to, not because they want to. And my, my mission and my goal um, in my platform and my education is to show allied health professionals, healthcare professionals, and anybody, and really, because it's a wide-ranging topic, to take control of their financial life so they can have the ability to do what they want when they want to do it. I love that, man. Like, I think um, the big thing that you said is doing what you want rather than what you need, right? And I think a lot of times when uh, me and you know other people, we, we think about financial literacy and uh, doing what you're supposed to do with your money, you think, oh my God, it's such a chore, right? When I think about it, I say, oh my God, I have to think about we're doing this and investing this percentage of my income in this. But when I kind of reframe that, like you said, I realize that's actually allowing me to have more freedom, 
when you have that strategy and when you have um when you have a way that you want to live you're able to have more freedom by being uh, by implementing these strategies so what made you really start getting into this like what made you say hey i i'm seeing this gap in allied health professionals and i want to educate them like was there maybe a specific thing you saw or a specific person who came up to you what got you into this field and this space and uh, what were your first steps into this venture great question and i will preface this because uh i'm gonna let the audience know this isn't financial advice or to be construed as financial advice it's more what my experience has been and it's more for information and education and some entertainment so i'll start with that um but two things happen earlier on in my career in my sixth uh, unit at mcmaster my preceptor asked me this question, and I'm going to ask it to you, and I'm going to ask it to your audience. How many therapists do you know who are still practicing actively over the age of 50, 55, or 60? And I sat there and mulled over the question, and I came back and said, I honestly don't know many. So if they're not practicing over the age of 50, 55, or 60, what else are they doing? And how are they earning an income? That made me think again. We're not, our profession isn't like our counterparts in medicine who can work till 65 and as an anesthesiologist or a lawyer or an engineer or an accountant. Our ability to earn an income is finite and it's even shorter than our counterparts. So we have a finite ability to earn an income. We have to make the best use of that time and it has to last until we retire and until we pass away. And with modern healthcare, the amount of time in retirement is only increasing. So you need more to satisfy your retirement depending when you retire. So that really shook me, uh, shook me at age 22 and 23. And that kind of set me on this journey. That's, um, that's amazing. Um, we're so like preoccupied with like just, again, focusing on becoming a good therapist and all that stuff. So we kind of lose sight of, or we don't place as much importance on it yet. I think we just like, oh, we're going to make some money. We can save it and et cetera, et cetera. But we need to really understand how everything kind of works, right? So one of the questions that I had for you is you, you had this realization a little sooner than, than most, I would say. Um, but not only that, like you actually applied things to kind of improve your literacy in the financial world, right? So what were some of the earlier mistakes that you made financially? If you don't mind sharing that, I mean, it could be personal too. That's totally fine too. But what were some of the mistakes that you made as an early, ther like a, as a new therapist? Because like, like Prab, I'm just first year into my practice as a physio. Yeah, I, I don't mind sharing at all. What's, I think mistakes are where you learn from. I think early success is a very poor teacher and mistakes are the ones, if you can learn from it, uh, last the most in terms of what happens. So I think my first mistake was not placing as high enough of importance on it. I um, had the mindset of a very high time preference, meaning I wanted things done now and could not think about my future self. So the decisions I made in my 20s, early 20s was maybe not allocating correctly in terms of my budgeting. I didn't understand what a budget was. I didn't apply a budget. So paycheck to paycheck was more frivolous spending versus having an end or goal in mind. And that fell into my inability to choose where my money went in terms of investments. I relied too much on institutions to tell me what to do, and I didn't have a firm grasp of the basics. So I was kind of a deer in the headlights, and whatever a financial advisor would tell me, I took as gospel. And when you understand the financial world, sometimes your incentives or your alignment isn't the same between you as an individual and the institution you're working with. So that... Uh, wasn't like I lost money, but I lost time. So in essence, I lost money because time is the most valuable non-renewable resource we all have, but sometimes we don't manage it well. So I think my biggest mistake is not understanding the, the intricacies or the basic fundamentals of financial literacy earlier on and then not applying it earlier on and using the, the forces of compound to benefit me. So when you say like the basics of financial literacy, are you talking about um, creating a budget creating like this much percentage of my money goes to my wants my needs and investments or um, are you talking more about like specific investments like stocks or etfs or real estate or whatever or, or is it a combination of the two a combination of the two but more on uh, when i say basics it's understanding what a budget is if i make five thousand dollars a month where are those dollars going 
and what is it like to live as a therapist? What are my actual expenses and my income? And then on top of that, what, how do I pay off certain debts? What's the difference between a student loan at 5% versus a American Express at 20% versus a mortgage at 3%? Where should I allocate my money that way? Oh, now I have an extra $1,000. Should I put it in a TFSA? Oh, Robin, what's a TFSA? Oh, okay, should I put it in an RSP? Oh, what, what's an RSP? Or should I save for taxes because I'm a self-employed individual that I have to pay taxes at the end of the year? Oh, how do I do that? So those are, those are the basics that I think elude uh, practitioners now because A, they weren't taught that you, if you're self-employed, you're going to have a tax bill in the year. And um, if you have extra money, there's certain ways you can deploy it to benefit you in the long term, whether it's a TSA, RSP, non-registered funds. So I think those are the, the basics. The allocation of the funds are a little more uh, in-depth once you have money, but some people just don't know where the money goes, let alone how to invest in terms of equities, bonds, fixed income, stuff like that. Okay, true. So um, with um, with the budgeting, I think the, the biggest issue I've had is in the whole hustle bustle of doing the work, doing the charts, trying to make time for a social life, a personal life, etc. I'm just like, damn, like, when am I going to write this in my Excel sheet? <laughs> I think that's the, the biggest thing that I've had. And um, a couple other people that I know as well are having similar issues. What would you suggest in the first steps into going about this? Like, what, what are the priorities that you think someone should understand and make time for and how do you think that time would be used in the best way in order to start you know, working towards these goals of understanding the basics of financial literacy? I think the first thing to know is what the end goal is and have that in mind so you can reverse engineer your short-term and long-term goals to what you can do today. And yes, budgeting can be challenging and it's sometimes you feel like you're depriving yourself because you're analyzing your your expenditures but nowadays it's 2022 you have basically a whole computer in the your pocket so you can do it manually with excel spreadsheets which i tend to do sometimes but i enjoy it or you can do it all automatedly uh, automatically sorry mm-hmm. and that you you have platforms like mint.com you sync up all your accounts with your bank accounts or credit card accounts and it does it for you and classifies it for you so you can go one hour a month review it and everything's there for you so Sometimes people tell me that they don't have the time when in reality they don't have the priority because we all have the same amount of time. It's where you prioritize your time. You're right, for sure. For sure. It's like, it is about the priority. And What was that app you mentioned? It was, or the website is mint.com. Mint.com. Mm-hmm. There's also You Need a Budget, Y-N-A-B. There, if you just type in uh, online or digital budgeting into Google, you'll get a, f- a whole bunch of paid and free uh, subscriptions. Okay, for sure, for sure. Um, on that same note, what do you personally do in terms of allocation? Like, what do you believe in? What has benefited you in terms of, I know, obviously we all have different things. We're reverse engineering, but uh, what are the options that are available in your opinion? Um, I'm going to assume you, you mean like, where do I put my money or as a therapist or um, a health professional, where can you invest? Do you mind clarifying? Yeah, like how do you allocate like which, oh, this amount of money is going towards the investing. This amount is going towards uh, things that I want. And then uh, how do those change? Because it's not always going to be the same. It also depends on, you know, are you trying to buy a house? Are you trying to buy a car? You know, those type of things. But what, what are some of the options that you think are most beneficial for a therapist instead of in terms of what percentage goes where? Okay, thank you. Uh, and I think, it, it, like you said, it changes where you are depending on where you are in life. And in, in your 20s, you probably make the most change in your entire life. Where you graduate from school, you might find a spouse. Uh, you and that person may get married. You might buy a house. You might start a family. There's a lot that goes on, and each one has a certain priority in terms of importance there. Uh, for me, I am in my 30s. I, I have a home, um, so I don't really have to say for that what I do with my money. And I think the most important thing is understanding that you should be able to pay yourself first because who else is going to do it for you? So with the um, 
automaticity of certain apps, you can take your $5,000 paycheck and instantly off the top, you know where that money goes. You say, okay, I'm going to put $300 each month into this account automatically. So you reduce the temptation of you taking that money and buying Lululemon ABC pants. Now it's gone directly to your TFSA. And then it can be automatically put into an ETF if you choose to do that. And then that's the, the intricacies that's already done for you. So you reduce that temptation. For me, personally, based on where I am currently, I am uh, investing in equities, investing in cryptocurrencies, and holding cash on hand. Because right now in this economic climate, with inflation soaring at record levels, and the, your purchasing power going down, and there's also some favorable uh, purchases in the stock market that I'm waiting for, that I'm just holding some cash. So when there is a sale, I'm going to go shopping. Would you would you say on, on a side note? Would you say there's a sale going on like right now, considering how like a lot of things kind of dipped down considerably like recently? Like um like I'm just thinking of certain stocks like Amazon and and Alphabet and all these things that have experienced a split too, and um even Shopify is a great example too. It's gone down like considerably um over the past like year, I want to say. Um, would you say yeah. like, this is a good opportunity for people to get into investing in the stock market? Even Bitcoin, even Bitcoin's drops a lot. This is where I can tread uh, around that because I don't want to be construed as advice, but I can tell you that the stock market is probably the only market in the world that when there's things on sale, people leave the store and don't go shopping. So yes, there are. You're looking at when, it's, when you define a sale, you have a 5% off sale, you have 20% off sale, and you have 50s and 60% off sale. And those are, those are the ones I like shopping at. But you have to ask yourself, when are you going to sell? So if you're going to take a 5% sale right now, but not going to sell for 20 years, and you think that company's going to double, then that's a good opportunity, in my opinion. If you're looking to sell in two years, then you might want to wait for something of greater sale because you have less time to compound that. So yeah, I think uh, the stock market has taken a beating um, mainly because of potential future earnings currently going on this week, as well as economic outlook, as well as fear and uncertainty. Uncertainty creates panic, panic creates selling, and selling affects mainly all the sectors at once, irrespective of the actual underlying stock. So you have to ask yourself, do you think Amazon's going anywhere? Do you think Google's going anywhere? Do you think Tesla's going anywhere? Do you think Apple's going anywhere in the next five to 10 years? And if you don't, then, that might be a good opportunity to purchase. If you do, then you might have to wait and wait until you have certain metrics before you kind of deploy your capital. Sorry, yeah, I, I, just, I was just curious, like, because you were saying, like, time to buy, like, as a sale. So I was like, hmm, like, I, like okay, so transitioning from that now, um, you were saying that a certain amount of money goes into investing. Like, if you were to advise yourself, let, let's just take that example that you said about the, the person that's making, let's say, $5,000, and they're bringing home $5,000, like, after taxes and all that stuff, right? Um, how would you advise, just to, again, like, you're, I know you're not giving any advice, and again, any listeners out there, this is a disclaimer, again, this is not financial advice, he's just giving whatever he is, like, he's just giving some tips on how he would navigate it, okay? So, how would you tell this person that's making $5,000 to kind of divvy up the money that he has. So, uh, good question. I think it depends on your your age um, and your time horizon for investing. What I mean by that is, a twenty year old male, female um, might have forty years before they retire, whereas a fifty year old individual may only have ten years. So, what you're looking to do is make your risk profile, your tolerance, might be different. For me, in my 30s, I have a larger time horizon, so I have the propensity of losing money, but also gaining it back because I can have 30 years to do so. So with that, if you're someone who is younger, you might be more in the taking risk camp because you have the ability to earn that money. Or someone who is older, it's more about wealth preservation than it is about wealth generation. So for me, I invest in uh, more tech-based, innovation-based uh, kind of um, equities as well as cryptocurrencies, but I also have a large percentage um, of kind of what they call blue chip stocks, stocks that have been around for s several years that will pay me dividends just for holding it, uh, irrespective once again of the price going up or down, I just get paid to hold it. So it's your portfolio allocation or portfolio construction is, is 
quite important, and it will change depending on A, your goals, B, your age, C, your risk profile, and D, your ability to sleep at night. Some people don't like taking risks. They'd rather pay off their mortgage and sleep well at night. Other people are like, hey, lever me up because I know I have the ability to. I'm built differently to take on this risk because I know I can get it back if it were to go again. So those, those are the four things I think uh, will affect your investment decisions. But I think, uh, I think the, one of the more important things in investing is not uh, how much you invest. It's the allocation or the position sizing. How much, what percentage is it? 1% of your portfolio, 10% of your portfolio, 100%? I think that makes the most sense as to as to versus an individual equity or a position you may have. Mm, that's that's very fair. Um, and I, and I like that. Like I, um, like it's just a matter of like again, like how you are allocating your resources and where you are in your life. Like I mean, let's say like for my like from for me, like I'm more like like you said in your twenties, you're kind of looking to settle down. Like you get. You have a wife, then you might have a kid, then you might have a house. Like, I'm pretty much hitting camps and all, all four of those things at the same time. So the way that I kind of view investing and all that stuff and kind of allocating my resources might be different than someone who's like prab, right? So um, it, it's very interesting how all those factors kind of influence how we kind of move our money around. Um. The uh, point that you mentioned about like equities and cryptocurrency, and, I, and I'm sure like th there's a lot that goes into that stuff too. Like how how would you advise people kind of get introduced to the idea of um, investing? Like if they wanted to just get into allocating some money that might be some things that they buy in the market, let's say stock market, maybe crypto, how or a blue chip like stock. Like how would you advise someone who's kind of like new to investing? to kind of take the steps forward to kind of get into it. Yes, uh, for me, it was um, a combination of books, hard copy or Kindle books, podcasts like yours, um, newsletters I read, trial and error, networking. And I think the most important one is, is failing and making mistakes. So like I mentioned earlier, you have everything available to you on your phone or computer. You have a vast amount of literature. It's just consuming it and understanding who you are as a person. I'm someone who is low and slow. I'm here for the long term. I'll make my decisions based on how I am at 50, at 60 years old. I don't think I'm going to be someone who wants to double their money in the next six months. So the way I invest is for the long term. And I have certain philosophies that I've studied where it's kind of the Warren Buffett approach where it's kind of buy good quality stocks that either pay you dividend or have the propensity of being there for the next 20 years that will pay you in the end versus kind of the high flying ones that we might have seen last January with AMC and GameStop where people double their money at the same time they lose their fortunes. And if you're a gunslinger like that, that might be where you put your money. But for me, I know my philosophy and I know um, what I've read over the last nine years and what I failed at that I'm pretty comfortable with making uh, financial decisions. Uh, a shameless plug here for those, like you don't have to take my course or go on my platform, but you can go on Instagram, you can go on TikTok, and you can follow five, six, seven people and get a good gauge of what they're saying and what the commonalities are, and then go from there because it's, it's it's quite informative on the financial world, in the financial world on social media. There's a lot of good things and also some less good things, but as you kind of deciphering and kind of educating yourself about it. Yeah, for sure. With like you were saying with TikTok and all, and all these apps, I find they often, they have a lot of information, right? There's all kinds of, of hype, trendy investment opportunities like GameStop, like you were saying. Uh, and those are going to be different every year. Everyone's going to have a different way of doing it, right? What would you say are your main long-term investment platforms like w w not platforms sorry but what do you mainly perceive as more of a long-term investment and how can someone who's just starting just getting started just one year out how can someone set themselves up to start acquiring some of these assets like to me it seems like they're they're things like real estate etc but um it's with housing the way it is it becomes hard to imagine like when am I going to go and get my foot in the door on this? So what would you recommend to someone who's trying to get to that point of investing for their long term? 
Yes. So in, in my uh, personal situation, I I have real estate, hard real estate, and I was fortunate enough to acquire this real estate earlier on before some of the costs become prohibitive. But you have to ask yourself: you don't necessarily need money to acquire real estate. You have uh, kind of three pyramids there. You have yourself in terms of you have time. If you're someone who has time, and you might partner with someone who has money, then there's a good partnership there. You might also have someone who has access to a real estate property who has the deal, but you don't have the time or the money, but you still have the deal. So there's a partnership there. Or you can have someone who has the money, but doesn't have the time or the deal, and then you can have a partnership there. So uh, the idea of that you need to go and have money to purchase real estate is a faulty one because you can solve a problem by having the time or the deal and you still have these good partnerships. The next thing is kind of finding them. And that's where the networking comes in and kind of putting yourself out there and meeting people online or in person. But that, that's real estate. Real estate's nice because you have kind of three things that you can do uh, to acquire wealth. You can have uh, capital appreciation, which is the price of your real estate going up. At the same time, you also have capital depreciation when your price goes down, but um, that's hard to predict. Then you have uh, equity buildup or mortgage pay down. So if you're renting it out to a tenant, you build up equity of each uh, dollar you pay towards principal of your mortgage. And the last thing you have is cash flow, which is basically what your monthly rent is subtracted by the monthly expenditures. And if it's a positive number, then you make money by just holding a property. So real estate's a, a good way of acquiring wealth, but the same can be done in, in equities. I can own a stock, uh, for example, uh, like TD Bank, and it can go up and down in value. So that's capital appreciation or depreciation. But it also pays me a dividend, which is cash flow for holding it. So I can do that and I can reinvest those dividends each year into buying more TD stock or whatever it is and I can grow my wealth as well. Or I can also own a business and this is the kind of the, the next logical step for most allied professionals because they understand the technicalities of being a professional but they, they start to venture off into business ownership without having the financial savvy to own a business because being a manager and an operator is quite different than being a practitioner. But if you own a business, then you have the ability to scale and take yourself out of the business and earn an income irrespective of you being in the business. And that's where you can start to leverage yourself because we all have the same amount of time. But if you don't have to work for your money and it, you earn it um, passively or semi-actively, then you can scale a lot larger and get wealthier faster. Yeah, like what you said about um, about be involved semi-actively or passively because it seems like that's where you're really saving on your biggest asset which is time right if you're always and you know that's that's a very common mentality not just in me but in, in a lot of new grads is oh let's let's bust those long hours like for example i'm working right now uh, some days like 10 10 and a half hours and for a bit i was thinking wow that's great like that extra money's coming in, fantastic, right? But then when you start to think about, is this sustainable long-term? Does this even make sense long-term for everything else you want to do in your life? It doesn't necessarily make sense, right? Ideally, the best way to do it is to get that money back and get that money growing, more money on its own, right? Um, so like you said about building the business, that's, that's a great step. How would you suggest someone, what are like the main two or three key points you'd suggest someone to be aware of or learn about before they start to venture into building a business, building something that's going to passively bring it in, whether that's a clinic or, you know, online business, what are some of the key things that someone should be aware about? I think the, the most important thing is something called ROT. We, some of us know what ROI is, is return on investment, but ROT is return on time. You have to ask yourself, is owning a business and operating the business the best use of my time in terms of what it can generate? And owning a clinic is nothing to sneeze at. You have a, not only the, the practical aspect of being a therapist, but you have the, the HR, the human resources aspect, as well as um, a lot of other intricacies that you won't know until you actually own a business. So I, I think it's important to understand what your return on, on time is and whether business ownership is for you or even like therapy business ownership versus me spending the same, let's say $100,000 in opening up a physiotherapy clinic. What if I open up or take over a laundromat? Now I own the laundromat. I don't have to be there or I can hire an operator and all I have to do is deal with machines that do the job of washing my clothes. So that same $100,000 is spent two different ways. One might have a better return on investment 
but one has a better return on time. And once you have more time, you can make more investments, and therefore your wealth is kind of exponential. So it's understanding what your return on time is. And I think most practitioners, especially in your 20s, don't have a firm grasp of your ROT. You think you work 10 hours a day. How many hours are spent commuting? How many hours are spent charting? How many hours are spent empty? And when you say, oh yeah, I make 50 bucks an hour, but if you dilute it with those three things, you might walk away with 30 bucks an hour, and then you have taxes on top of that. So your take home might be 26. And you're like, oh, Damn. so those 10 hours spent isn't the best way, use of my time. For sure, for sure. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Personal attack. It's true though, like I, I think we all need someone that tells them that before we've spent five, six years down the line, like not realizing these things and um, thinking that we're doing the best return on time activity, like you were saying, right? Um, so yeah, you were saying, figure out if it's the right, if what's the right business model for you? What about like um, financials? Like how, how, how much sort of should you have put aside? How, what are some skills you should acquire before opening that business? What are some of the ideas around a business plan or um, a, a vision for what you want to do? What are some of those things that you think someone should be thinking about? Um, basic accounting principles, um, I think, is important in owning any sort of a business, understanding what certain line items are. And you don't need um, an accounting degree. You can just partner with someone who is a certified accountant or chartered accountant, and you and them can talk about the basics. Um, it's, it's a tough question because it's variable in terms of what you should know. But if, if you don't understand your own, what we call P&L, your profit and loss statement, meaning Robin Valadares as a physiotherapist, what do I make a year and what's my expenditures and what do I take home? If you don't know that up front, then I don't think owning a business is the right decision for you at that point in time. But I think when you get into, at least the first steps would be having an investment portfolio. Once you start to invest in companies, then you have to actually look at companies and say, oh, how much does Apple make each year? How much do they spend? What's their debt like? And what's their cash flow? Oh, if you understand how Apple works as a business, then when you open up your clinic, they're like, oh, I can transfer these same accounting lines over so I know how much I make in physiotherapy income, massage therapy income, how much I spend on massage lotion, how much I pay in my front desk, and what I take home. But if you don't know those simple things, then I don't think business ownership is, is for you at that point, even though you might think you're ready for it being a, a physiotherapist practice for 10 years. If you haven't owned a business in the past, it's challenging uh, opening your first. But you make mistakes and you learn from them. For sure, and um, it, it's like what you were saying. Like, you have to. It's not just about the time you spend outside. It's not about the time you spent in the profession. It's about what have you sort of put together in that time. So, like, knowing how much the front desk is going to get paid, knowing how much you're gonna need for the small things like lotion or ultrasound gel or whatever, right? Um, was there any, do you have any story or situation where you tried to go about one of these ventures, but not knowing one of these things or not having, not being aware of one or more of these principles uh, deterred you or hindered you from growing that business? And what was, an, what did you learn from making that mistake? I, I haven't uh, gone down the route of owning a healthcare business per se. I, I do have a, a corporation, which is my own corporation professionally, that is a business entity that I, I, uh, I run and manage myself. Uh, it's quite different than owning a heart, a heart clinic and, a, and an actual uh, banner name. But in starting my actual online education business, um, I, I learned the intricacies of how much capital you have to put up front more in a digital age in terms of running a website, hosting a website, payment processing fees, as well as uh, recording courses. And I think my few years before of owning the, the physiotherapy business taught me a little more about what to expect 
And in terms of your first year, you might not be profitable in your first year, which is okay. But if you do the right things over time and um, kind of get a name for yourself, then you start to grow slowly. And that's what where most companies are. A lot of companies, for example, like Tesla, wasn't profitable for the first, what, maybe decade of um, being a company. And just until recently, they started to become quite profitable. But they had a certain belief in that, a certain runway. And if you have that um, and you stick to, I think, your vision, not foolishly, you have to be kind of realistic and saying, yeah, I, I believe what I'm doing and I can see the end in sight, but it's got to stay uh, stay um, committed. Then you can profit quite well. But yeah, I don't have uh, any stories about owning an actual physical uh, business, more of smaller side hustles that I do uh, on my own. Oh, okay. So maybe like, um, like something like those small ventures that you have, like the small side hustles that you're talking about, like was there any um, moment where you... Like what was like was there like a teaching moment in any of those small ventures where maybe you you could you would do it differently now than you would have when you first did it the, like the, when you first initially started the business? Yeah, I think the teachable moment that I, I wrestle with over the years is having the faith in yourself, not a religious faith, but the self-efficacy or the confidence that you can you can do it because when you're an entrepreneur um, at points during the journey, you feel like you're all alone. And this is part of the, the stuff I like to educate people on. It's not just about money, it's about being fulfilled and having meaning. And uh, having a, a solid background in who you are as an individual and knowing how you react to certain stimulus, both positive and negative, I think has really tested me uh, over the years. Because yes, I've lost thousands of dollars on bad deals. I've lost thousands of hours on wasting my time but if I haven't done, hadn't had those happen to me and made those mistakes on my own and taking ownership for those mistakes, I wouldn't be in the position where I am. I wouldn't be as hardened mentally as I currently am, but I'm still growing that way. So I, I think as, as much of a cop-out of an answer it is, I think knowing yourself very well and how you emotionally respond and if you're someone who is built to take life's hard knocks against you and learn and grow from them. Because they're all going to happen to us. We will fail. And for those, you will succeed if you can learn from the mistakes and apply them differently the next time. But there isn't any um, kind of tactical information I can tell you more than just the philosophy approach of investing and in being a business owner. No, I think I think that stuff is very useful though. Like it's and it's it's very interesting to hear that from you because you're like way more experienced than us. You're ten years in the game and you're you're learning all these financial ins and outs like way more than us. So I think even though your advice may sim seem simple to you, it kind of um reminds us that you like no matter what the basic idea of just trying to know yourself the most is still the number one priority as you go through these as you go through this journey really because hey man like at the end of the day like a lot of people are afraid to get into this kind of space in the first place i think this is these are the kind of thoughts that kind of hold you back in the in the first place right so i think it's um it's a good reminder um that someone that has gone through as much as you have that you know focus on yourself and trying to make sure that you believe in yourself and the process that you're going to put yourself through so i like that a lot Thank you. And I think it's only natural when we're younger and, and like where you are right now, you might have the same beliefs I did when I was in my 20s, is that imposter syndrome. Am I capable of making change? Do I believe in myself? Do my patients even believe or my clients even believe in my skill set? And we all go yeah. through it. And you learn that over the years. You might even now get rid of it when you're in my age, yeah. which I still, still have struggles with. But you know, you're confident, you can make change. And just believing in yourself, which is that mindset. And I think we get stuck into the scarcity mindset earlier on. And we uh, don't really grasp the abundance or the growth mindset. But if you can transition to the growth mindset, understanding that you have a lot and there's a lot out there that you can make change to if you comply yourself, I think that's quite valuable. Do you, do you remember um, the moment where you kind of switched over to this growth mindset? Like, I think you always had it coming when you were like 22, 23 years old that like, like this, like this idea of exchanging time for money is not something that's going to be feasible or um or help me or help me like become fulfilled the way that I want to like what was that moment where you got where you were like okay now I'm employing this growth mindset like what was that first thing that you did was it like oh I purchased one share of Coca-Cola or or was it like um like what was it for you where you were like okay like this is this is where this is the right path for me 
Yeah, great question. I think when I first purchased my my first home as an investment property, uh, it wasn't all sunshines and rainbows. I um, I selected a, a very poor tenant initially, and I played more with my heart than my mind. And this individual uh, really took advantage of me, and I had to evict this evict this individual. My first ownership. But once I got my second tenant in there, I learned a whole bunch of terms like, hey, I don't, I can just own a property and I get paid to own it. So I'm like, what if I own two or three more properties and get paid to own it? Then I can, hey, do this, 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 irrespective of my time. So I think, and, and, and then four years ago, I've, I got kicked in the teeth pretty bad, uh, which I won't get into, but I've had some, some things happen to me. Some are my responsibility, some are not, that really told me that life is not fair. And then if you have the right vision, despite uh, getting kicked in the teeth, sometimes it's the best decision or best thing that's happened to you. Because if you can grow from it, those, only, those things only make you stronger as an individual. And looking back now, four years later, even though it really was terrible at the time, I'm grateful that it happened to me because I wouldn't be in this position if I was still in the same mindset of kind of coasting and believing life was all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, and, and like you were saying, there's, it's the choice of how you take it. Right. Like you can take it and say, okay, this happened. What am I going to do about it? Or you could use that as a reason to stay in the same place for four or five years. That's something that's that that I'm me and Walid are really passionate about. We've had a lot of conversations, even some episodes about that for sure. So thanks a lot for saying that. And I think it applies in every every space of life. Right. Like financial, physical, mental, just every day is a new day. So okay, you, you got kicked in the teeth this day, now what's next, right? And it, it, it almost just builds character. So that's, that's something that I'm taking away a lot from this episode is like, okay, you know, you've been having these habits, certain financial habits, etc. It's okay, what are we going to do about it now? Like now that you have gotten that awareness, which I hope some more people will, will receive from listening to what you were saying, uh, what are you going to do with this new information and are you going to be able to apply it in a meaningful way and uh you were mentioning that you have a course did you want to mention something about the course it's okay you can shameless plug we're 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 okay we're here for that (laughs) (laughs) i yeah somehow i don't know why this stuck with me but i always felt bad in uh, in practicing to kind of sell stuff to clients because I feel like I'm a salesman but in reality you're just promoting yourself and it, you're your own brand so when you sell your services you are a salesman but you're you're selling it with an ethical and moral base to it yeah well so, yes. I think people I think people are gonna get benefit more benefit out of you promoting it right so I I, I love that I think it's a great idea well thank you yes so um, what happened in, in 2020, and this might not pertain to you two individuals because I believe you were in school at the time, but for your audience, anybody who is practicing or is working in 2020, the world changed for about three months in Ontario for uh, health professionals because our clinics were closed down. And if you're an individual who derived all your income, like school told you to, from one income source, guess what? It dried up in a matter of seconds for months. And you're like, how do I pay my mortgage? I have two kids. How do I take them to daycare if they're in daycare? How do I do uh, pay my credit card bills, my student loans? So the fallacy that we were taught, and uh, I guess no fault of education system, although I'll hold them to blame, is that they didn't teach you that if you only have one income source and it's taken from you, your security of one income source goes up in smoke. But all the expenditures and obligations of life are still there. So I think nowadays is having an ability to diversify your income will make you even more resilient when things change. And that's what COVID taught me. So over the course of 2020, when I had three months downtime, and this is because I love, um, I'm very passionate about financial literacy. I decided like, let's take some action, Robin. Let's build something. I talk to my friends, my colleagues all the time about this. That probably blew in the face that they're bored of hearing it. So I, I went pen to paper and I just wrote uh, over a couple of craft beers. I wrote about 11 page manuscript on what came to my head on financial literacy. And then I kind of did a couple beta tests and drew it down into a beginner course, which talks about the basics about what an allied health professional might want to know about financial literacy and more of the application of the intermediate course. Now I know where my money's going or I have the money. I know what a TSA is, an RSP, what the difference is. I know what student loans are. I know what debt are, unsecured, secured, revolving. Now how do I apply it? What's the process of buying cryptocurrency? What's the process of buying fine art or fine wine or fine 
whiskey? What's the process of a, a drip program or buying real estate or doing the Burr model? So I have these two courses. They're both uh, are recorded on Embodia, which has been a, a really blessing for me. Maggie at Embodia has been a really, really good individual and very sweet lady uh, to, to partner with or work with, as well as on my own platform, which I do live courses, not in the summertime because I like to golf in the summer, but in the off-season, I have uh, live beginner courses and live intermediate courses that we just do over Zoom. And then in the fall this year, I'm doing my first live in-person course with my friend Dave Leland and his host of three clinics at uh, Coast Performance in Vancouver, where I'm just teaching individuals in person, which I would prefer about uh, the, the basics there. So that's kind of my platform. That's awesome. Um, one thing that I just realized is like when you were talking about this whole um, the pandemic situation and how people basically who were relying entirely on one income um, were basically like relying on their day-to-day expenses and all that stuff. Like all that stuff was basically removed as soon as the pandemic started, right? So I'm sure a lot of people were probably in shambles and they were going through a lot of challenges when they went through it. That's when I like kind of clicked in my head that when you are thinking about just generally investing like you put your money into one place or whatever one of the cardinal rules from what i understand is like you don't put all your eggs in one basket like you would never give advice to me saying will you only buy a hundred shares of apple and then keep building that only that so the reason why is because if apple goes to shit then all your money's gone so it's the same kind of thing that we apply in our life like you can't put all your eggs in one income because if that one income goes to shit then you don't really know what to do with your day-to-day expenses then so i think that i'm kind of seeing the parallels between how the stock market and the the just your daily living kind of go hand in hand um it was more of like an like a realization i'm just commenting on it really more than anything Yes, and a phrase that often I think about is concentration will generate wealth. Diversification will preserve wealth. And what I mean by that, like you said, you might not want to put all your eggs into Apple, but if Apple 10Xs, then you'll be quite wealthy. So you can generate quite a bit of wealth there. But if you do not diversify, if Apple goes to zero, then you're going to be poor. You won't be able to preserve your wealth. And same thing with physiotherapy or massage therapy or uh, occupational therapy is having multiple revenue streams and in different sectors. One could be real estate, it could be bonds, one could be healthcare, one could be business ownership, one could be a laundromat. But it's going to be challenging for all those sectors to tank at once or to go down at once. So you're well diversified so you can maintain your wealth better that way. I love that. I think that that would be your quote to live by, right? Like the con- what was it? The concentration builds wealth and diversification preserves wealth? That's correct. Um, I love that one. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. great, man. That's a, I think that's a great point to, to kind of leave people with. Is there, is there anything, since we're coming up on the end of our time here, is there any one takeaway, a key point? We used to do this back in the day. I think Walid will remember. But we used to ask everyone, if you could have a billboard that's all to yourself, that everyone know, driving into Toronto will see, like on the Gardener, what would you put on that billboard? What's like the one piece of advice or the one statement that you'd want everyone to know from you? Oh, I like that one. On the gardener, yeah, because you'd be stuck in traffic most of the time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think the one thing that's profound to me is that time is the most valuable non-renewable resource we all have. And we work in the thought of getting our time back to spend with it what we choose to do. And for many of us, it's later in our years when we're 65. Why can't it be when we're 45? Why can't it be when we're 35? Would you not rather have time to take your son to his soccer game on a Wednesday afternoon instead of being in the clinic? Of course I would. So what can you do now to free up time? Because we all have very limited amounts of it. That's very, that's deep. <laughs> You're saying at 45, I'm like, why not at 25? <laughs> why not? Agree. It's true. But change your mindset you, you can do it just because society isn't that's not the norm just because the way we've always done it doesn't mean it makes sense so push those boundaries take those bets on yourselves 
Because if you're not going to do it, who else is going to do it for you? For sure, man. And that's a, I think that's a great way to leave people off, everyone. Just make sure that everything you're doing, you're doing passionately and you're not doing things just because someone told you to and you're doing what you want rather than what people have told you you have to do. There, there is another way and you know if you're interested we're gonna put Robin's course in the description we're gonna put his page in the bio too so if you're interested in learning more about new ways to new habits new financial habits and new ways of having a different mindset about money and where it's going we're gonna put all that information in in the bio uh, for now we're gonna leave it at that but uh, thanks so much Robin for coming on it, it's been a pleasure and I've taken away a lot and I'm, I'm excited to check out more of the content that's on your page and applying it to my own life as well. Yes. No, it was, it was a pleasure having you, Robin. Like, you, you have a lot of insights that um, that I'm definitely going to uh, apply in my life. And the thing that is the most important takeaway for me from this podcast is the fact that you are encouraging people to kind of embrace the discomfort and actually go out there and and take ownership of what is going on in your bank account, right? Like, understand how the money's coming in, understand how it's going out, and then divvy it up in a way that actually allows you to build more things that generate income or at least preserve it, which is um, all the right things. So, um, very, very happy to have you. It was, um, I'm grateful for um, all the advice that you gave. Thank you, General. Thank you, Prad. Thank you, Walid. I'll finish off, if you don't mind, with, with two points. As healthcare professionals, we're kind of always taught to put the needs of our clients or our patients ahead of our own. And to our detriment, it's, it's time to take action and take care of yourself first so you can satisfy and service the general public. And, and the last thing I'll leave you with is a quote from Warren Buffett, which is one of the more prolific investors of our time. If you don't figure out a way to earn money while you sleep, you're going to work until the day you die. And that's the truth. So... Try to find different avenues that you can do to generate income, irrespective of your time and irrespective of your location. And in that, I'll, I'll say goodbye. Thank you both for having me. I had a blast, and I can talk about this for hours, but I'll be respectful of everybody's time here. So thank you. For sure. So, guys, this has been the PT Lens Podcast, New and Revised, Prab, lead and Robin. We'll see you next time. Peace. Bye, guys. Thank Take you. Take care.